I'd like you to open to the book of James tonight. What God is going to speak to us through His Word tonight is something that is not new to you. It's not a foreign concept, uh, but it is uh, a radical concept if you took it for real. If you took it seriously, it'd be radical. And that is God's power to control and not just control, but use your tongue. Because we are believers in the house, aren't we? We're believers. We're followers of Jesus Christ. We're not in the world anymore. How you react is different now. How you feel is different. How you think is different. But you still, you're still surrounded by the world. You may, it may rub off on you from time to time if you let it, but we're not going to let it. We're going to let Jesus rub off on us. We're going to become more like him every day. And in order to do that, You've got to remember the words that Jesus said, and I've referred to this plenty of times. I'll refer to it more than once tonight. Jesus said, I don't say anything unless I hear the Father say it. I don't do anything unless I see the Father do it. You realize that the most perfect human being to ever walk the planet was the most controlled by some other force. He was not doing his own thing. If anyone had the right to do their own thing, it would be Jesus. Right? If you were to trust anybody, to you just use your discretion, just do whatever you want to do. Jesus would be the guy you trusted. And yet Jesus was trustworthy because he did and said only what the fathers did and said. So if you really want to be a follower of Jesus, it's more than just giving to a charity once a year. If you really want to be a follower of Jesus, it's more than coming to church. If you want to follow Jesus, to follow someone does not mean that you subscribe to their tweets on Twitter. It does not mean that you, that you observe them from afar. To follow somebody doesn't just mean you listen to their teachings. To follow, by definition, means you go where they went. Right? You can't be a follower of Jesus and just say, he's a good teacher. I appreciate the things he said. And if you're going to follow me out of the door, if you're going to follow me to my house, you've got to go to my house. When I leave the church, you've got to leave the church. When I get in the car, you've either got to run really fast or get in your car of your own. To follow me means you go where I go. And so we can't say we follow Jesus and not be willing to go where he went. Now, of course, thank God he bore things you'd never have to bear. But when we, we talk about his life, he lived in the power of the Holy Spirit, and he gave that Holy Spirit to you that you could walk in the same power that he walked in. James speaks very clearly, and, and I want to give you some context here because we're in James chapter 3. Two things are addressed here. Your mouth's power, your tongue's power to control, to, to influence your life, and your tongue's power to influence other people's lives. Those two things are very important because in the larger picture of what James is all about, James speaks to different issues. He speaks to some people that aren't even born again. He speaks to, to some of his Hebrew brothers that haven't made the jump yet. He speaks to some people that are uh, thinking that they're special because they have more money than someone else, and he really calls them out for, for the way they got the money because he's not just talking about somebody who was a good businessman. He begins to talk to people that uh, cheated the poor to get where they are and then use that as a way to put down uh, these people. He's very clear to them. But in the last part of James, what's really talked about, um, one of the themes that really comes up more than a lot of others is unity in the church, is the absence of strife. Um, and I want to say this, and maybe we'll talk about this more another night, but unity is not simply the absence of strife. Do you know what I mean? 
We can't just say none of us are fighting, therefore we're in unity. That's not true. The Bible talks about being of one heart and one mind. You know, I can walk into Lloyd Mall and be in a crowd of people and nobody's fighting, but we're not in unity. We're not going to the same place. We're not doing the same thing. We're getting nothing accomplished as a group. We're doing our own thing. So the lack of fighting, the lack of strife does not mean you're in unity. <laughs> you may say, we're in unity. I don't know. I haven't heard any gossip. I haven't heard any fight. That doesn't mean unity. But you can't be in unity and be in strife at the same time. You can't, you can't be of one heart, one mind, and then let strife come into the very body of Christ. The Bible says where there is strife and division, there is every evil work. So we don't let that in at all. Not even a hint. Because you let a hint in, it grows pretty quick, doesn't it? Thank God, God created you with emotions. Do you know that? You were created with emotions. That's not just a mistake he made. Um, you were made to have emotions, but you were made to have emotions that were under control. The, your emotions are part of your soul, and your soul is a servant to your spirit, just like your body is. Just like you don't just go to the bathroom anywhere you feel like it. Right? You have control of your body. Some of you didn't say right fast enough, and I'm concerned. <laughs> You don't, just, uh, you don't just sleep whenever you want to sleep. You don't go to the bathroom whenever you want to go to the bathroom. You, don't, you, you control your body. Your body is under control, and some more than others, but our body is really meant to be an instrument that, that obeys the Spirit of God. So when the Spirit says, go pray for somebody, your body takes you there, and your legs take you to that person, your mouth opens up, and your hand goes on somebody. That's your body participating, right? When your spirit says, time to dance, and you go, I don't want to dance, everybody's watching. Then your body says, well, spirit said so, and that's who I listen to. And uh, they get in unity. When your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions, they have to be a servant to the spirit just as well. And so we're dealing with real people with real emotions. But as believers, you don't have the right to, to just indulge every emotion that you ever come across. You don't have that right anymore. You can't afford that. It's not a good thing. You have to be able to say, I can, I am in control of my soul. My soul is servant to my spirit. I don't have to do whatever I feel like doing. I don't have to let depression take over in my life. I don't have to let anxiety take over. I don't have to let bitterness take over. These are things, I mean, it's not a sin for this to hit you, but it's wrong for you to entertain it. It's not your fault if a stray cat comes to your door, but if you feed it and take it in and give it a nice home. Now, I realize that's not a bad thing. That sounds nice. Some of you go, that doesn't sound nice. Some of you do say that does sound nice. But uh, it's one thing for something to visit you. It's another thing for you to give it a home. It's one thing for a, a flash of emotion to come up. What, you're not in trouble for, for that thing coming. You know that uh, Jesus didn't sin even though he was tempted, right? The temptation was there. The temptation is not the problem. The problem is when you agree with it. And most of the time, how you agree with it is by opening your mouth. That's how I agree with an emotion. That's how I say it's okay, is I open my mouth and I echo what that emotion says. If I'm not feeling well, if I'm feeling angry, if I'm feeling depressed, and I start talking about how I feel depressed, you've just validated what you're feeling. You've just said, that's okay, that's the way it is. And you, you may... Uh, you may have been taught that that's just being real. That's just being transparent. There's a difference between being real and transparent and indulging things that weren't meant to indulge. Right? You can be real 
You can have a brother or sister that you, that you trust, that you say, listen, I'm dealing with this right now. I need you to agree with me that I can walk out of it. That's different than having a friend that you're looking for that, that will just echo what you're feeling and, and just and give you back what you're giving to them. Just so that you can whine to and have a wine party with and uh, wine and cheese or whatever. That you can just uh, be, be transmitting these emotions and they just say, that's okay, that's good. You have a right to feel that way. There's a difference. Let's look in James chapter 3. First thing he says is, let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. Why? Because your words have influence over people. If you believe that, I mean, let's, let's face it here, if you're called to teach, you need to teach. Because the grace of God to teach will be on you to teach. If you're not called to do it, better not do it. The Bible says that um, there is encouraging, there is admonishing one another. So he's not talking about not being able to teach concepts to people or transmit these things. That's part of being a believer. But he's saying, let, let this be your, your deal. I'm a teacher. That's what I do. And you get up every day and you teach. That's different than, than just uh, explaining something in the Word or letting God speak through you to your friends and, and brothers and sisters or complete strangers. Those are different things. But he says, the reason is, is because what you say is serious. You can't just get up and start talking and expect there to be nothing that comes from it. And too many people, that's, that's what happens. You know, you just have a platform, you have a an arena to speak in, and you just say whatever comes to your heart, comes to your mind. God is, is saying, no, 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 you need to be controlled in what you say because you're influencing other people. He says this in verse 2. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bride the whole body, bridle the whole body as well. Now, if we put the bits into the horse's mouth so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Isn't that cool? And those of you who have ridden horses or even seen someone ride a horse, you know that to be true. The horse is led around. There's a tiny bit in his mouth. But when that horse is trained, that, that, that little bit turns the whole horse. You don't have to be riding a horse and just try to lean all your strength and have somebody, you know, running behind you, pushing the horse in one direction. You... You just have the reins, and, and you lead them one way, you lead them another way. At least that's the way it's been in my limited experience. Now, I realize some of you had to break a horse. That's a different thing. But uh, this is the way it works. He says a tiny bit that's just in that horse's mouth controls the whole body. Then he says in the next verse, Look at the ships also. Though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, they are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. Wherever the pilot wants them to go, this tiny rudder, I think about the Queen Elizabeth. You ever heard of the Queen Elizabeth boat? I've actually been on that. And it's a huge ship, hundreds of tons. And it's got a small rudder. Now, this rudder still tons in itself, but... I believe it was like two-tenths of a percent of the actual weight of the ship. That's how big the rudder is. Two-tenths of a percent. That's tiny. Yet that whole ship is turned by that rudder. So your tongue is the rudder of your life. It's the rudder of many things, but it's first and foremost the rudder that turns your whole life. Your mouth, 
will affect how your whole thing's going. And so here's the question I want to ask you. Does the ship turn the rudder or does the rudder turn the ship? Does the ship turn first and then the rudder turns or does the rudder turn first and then the ship turns? The rudder turns first, right? You see, too often we switch it around. We let circumstances come out. We start in a direction and our mouth echoes what's going on. So we turn down a road of depression. That's the way our life is going. And you know it, it, it tends to be once you get some momentum, boy, that really can pick up. It may have started as a small emotion and it builds and it builds and it builds and it gets really bad. You have a choice. Do you let the way you're going, the direction you're going, determine where the rudder's going to go? Or do you make the rudder determine your new direction? Because if you start to get into this spiral of depression and then your mouth talks about how depressed you are and why you're depressed and why you have a good reason to be depressed, you're not turning yourself out of that. You're going down the same path you were going before. In fact, you just gave it some speed. Because now, now there's no resistance. Now it's just going. The best thing you can do, and this is where we have to change from the world. The world uses their mouths to echo what they're feeling. Believers say, my mouth determines where I'm going. My mouth doesn't just tell you where I'm going. The mouth tells you where I am going to go. Not just where I am, but where I'm heading. Your tongue will determine which direction you go. And it's not just, and we'll talk about this in a moment, but it's not just for you personally. I believe that your tongue is a rudder for many things. I believe that really how you speak, what you say, whether you line up with what God is saying, will it's the rudder for your relationships. Think about it. You've, we've all been in nasty friendships and relationships, just where things weren't going well, where there was strife, where there was issues that you didn't think you could get beyond. Have you ever tried talking differently about that person? Really changing the way you talked about them. Because if you just don't like that person, and you know God put you in the same room as them for a reason, and you're stuck with them, Ugh, but, you, but every chance you get, you talk about them. Whether it's to yourself or to a trusted close friend, and you just talk about, oh my goodness, they did this, and this is, you know what, I can't stand. You are just turning the ship down that path, and you're sowing those seeds of strife. And you know, sometimes what you sowed back there is what you're reaping right now. And so sometimes... It may take a little bit for you to see the results of turning that rudder. It may not turn instantly. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes we say, why didn't it work? I started speaking what God says. I started speaking the word. I'm still having this issue. But if you've ever seen a ship turn, we, had, we just had the 100th anniversary of the Titanic just recently. You know, they tried to turn that ship. But a big ship like that takes a while to turn. And so sometimes you can't just expect... I started talking different this morning, and by sundown, things are the same. you got to expect that this is not just a one-time thing. And really, if you were to take an account for your words, you know, I was just reading a study, uh, I believe it's called the Heart Rizzling Study, where they were studying uh, these different income levels of children. And uh, children under the age of four, so, so zero to three going up, or, sorry, one to three, um, and they were, they were finding out, you know, what they heard. And what they did was they put recorders in these families' homes, recorders, at, you know, obviously by permission. It wasn't just you know, spying or anything. Um, the family said, okay, you can record our conversation, record everything. Six years it took them 
to transcribe everything and quantify it and figure it out. It took them six years. It took a long time. A bunch of researchers sitting there. Can you imagine having this job where your job was to sit there and just listen to the dull, just regular humdrum of everyday life, transcribing every word that anybody in the house ever said to that child or the child said to anyone else? Can you imagine that? Trying to figure out who said it, why, they, what, you know, what words they used. And, and they, they figured out, they, they finally got all these different words down. They found that there was low income, middle income, and higher income. The difference between the low income and the higher income was that before that child turned four years old, he had heard 30 million more words in the higher income bracket. Isn't that weird? 30 million more words spoken to him. The diversity of words was different. Not just quantity, but the different words that were used. And that child, sure enough, used different words back, had a bigger vocabulary, ha- did better in school, did, did better throughout school. It didn't really change. That course was set for quite a while. And the words that one group was hearing, the kids were hearing things like, get off that couch, leave your brother alone, stop doing that. You know, that was kind of the, the conversation. Whereas this group that the kids did better in school later on, the kids got better jobs, the the type of words they were hearing was they were reading stories to them. They were talking to them. They were having conversations with them. It changed their whole life based on some words. God created these words to have effect. You realize his words never return to him void. It means they never, the Bible says in Isaiah 55, that just as the rain falls and waters the ground and the snow comes and has an effect, he says, so do my words. They don't go without having an effect without changing the ground. Your words will change the ground of your life. They will. There's not a neutral word out there. The Bible says we give an account for every idle word spoken. No word is truly neutral. So you've got to say, is my tongue surrendered to God? Because it's going to have an effect. He says here, the ship's are turned by a very small rudder. You may say, it's not what I say, it's what I do. What you do is very important. What you say plays into what you do and how you feel about what you do. Do you know the Bible says, in Philippians, says do everything without grumbling or complaining. How do you grumble and complain? Can you grumble and complain without your mouth? No. It's a mouth thing. Do all things without grumbling or complaining because grumble and complain, your heart will follow your words. You start, I mean, that may be where it started. The Bible says out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So a lot of things begin in the heart, but they really get momentum when you start talking. They really gain some strength and steam when you start opening your mouth. Can we just take a a detour for a moment? Hold your place in James 3. Take a detour back to where we studied for a few weeks when we studied the uh, Israelites' journey to the promised land. I want to show you in Numbers, and then we'll skip to to Deuteronomy. Numbers chapter uh, 14. In fact, Numbers 13, you recall the difference between the ten... Bad spies and the two good spies, right? What was the difference? Was, it, was the difference what they saw? It was what they said, right? 
That's what they got judged for. Not what they saw, not what they did even, but what they said. They all were at the same place, right? (laughs) They all were in the promised land together. The spies, I'm I'm assuming, hung out together because you're 12 people in in a hostile land. I'm assuming they stuck together. They brought the grapes back together. You know, at least they met up at some point. So they all saw the same thing. It was what they chose to believe and what they chose to speak about. Because what God says is, here was the issue I had with them. They gave an evil report. Report. Can you give a report without writing or saying anything or signing anything? Can you give a evil report? No, it's communication, right? So, in Numbers chapter 14, after the ten spies gave an evil report and the two spies gave a good report, it says in verse 1 of chapter 14, Then all the congregation did what? They lifted up their voices and cried. They lifted up their voices and cried. And the people wept that night. All the sons of Israel, all the sons of Israel, that's, that's everybody, grumbled. Can you grumble with your mouth shut? No. Not if, especially not if you look at this word in the Hebrew. Grumbling is a mouth thing. You said something. We all, listen, here's the deal. Joshua and Caleb were humans just like us. They had doubts. They had concerns. They had fears, didn't they? These guys weren't just, just some anomaly that just didn't ever feel fear. And, and the, ten, the spies that gave the evil report, they were normal people too. They, they didn't just fear everything. They weren't afraid of spiders every night. They were hardened by the wilderness. They had been through a lot. So don't think, well, they, can, they, they weren't in my position or I've never been in their position. Uh, uh, you know, that's Joshua and Caleb. They're a different level than me. They were human beings who had to make a choice, just like you, just like me. We all have a choice to make. What do I believe and what do I say? And you know those ten spies, like I said before, Israel did not all decide at the same second, at the same moment, we're all not going into the promised land. We're all terrified. You know that doesn't happen that way, does it? Do you really think that there was just a moment, and at that moment, Some people believed and some people didn't. Is that the way things happen in real life? No. You know what happened. Probably with those spies too. I don't believe the ten spies at the same moment said the same thing. I believe one person started. Another person agreed. They started talking. They spread that. You may have had more than two people who actually believed God could do this and they got swayed by others' words. You see, your tongue is not just a rudder for your own life. It's an influence in other people's lives as well. And as they begin to grumble, do you know they didn't all grumble at the same time, but somebody started it. Somebody began to grumble. You have fears. We all have fears. We all have experienced fear. We know that perfect love casts out fear. We know that God has not given us the spirit of timidity or of a type of fear of intimidation but of power, love, and a sound mind. But you have to confront fear. None of us in this room have said, I've never had to confront fear. I've never had fear come and stare me in the face. We all have, probably this week. But you submit to fear by what you say. 
James says in another place, submit yourself to God, resist the devil and he will flee. These are two things that a believer must do. Learn what to submit to and what to resist. I submit to God. I submit to the love of God. I submit to the joy of the Holy Spirit. I submit to the encouragement of believers. And I resist the devil. I resist fear. I resist depression. And one of the best ways you can submit and one of the best ways you can resist is by opening your mouth. In Romans 10, the first thing you had to do was believe, right? But then you had to confess Him as Lord. When you confessed Him as Lord, what were you doing? You were submitting your life to His Lordship. You were saying, I surrender to you. And how did you do that? With your mouth. That was the first way you ever surrendered to God, was opened your mouth and said, I surrender to you. Jesus is Lord. So submitting and resisting are powerful concepts. You have that choice every day. Because fear will face you. In the, it will stare at you. It will glare at you. It will make noises. It will smell bad. It will look at you and say, you have a reason to be afraid. And you say, do I submit to this emotion or do I resist it? That is a foreign concept in the world. The world says, go with what you feel. It's natural. But the Bible says you are created in the image and the likeness of God. You don't have to be like everybody else. You can say no. I've got reasons to be afraid, but I have a lot of reasons to be bold. Because if you know who your God is, you've got way bigger reasons to be, to be fearless, to be full of faith. So they all had that same choice. They all faced the fear, and they chose which, which emotion, which whether I was going to believe, whether I was going to be afraid, and what I'm going to tell people about it. It says, they grumbled. And said, would that we had died in the land of Egypt. Or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? See, this isn't the first time they brought up Egypt. The rudder of their ship had been pointed back to Egypt for some time. The rudder had not been pointed to the promised land. Their feet may have been carrying them there, but their heart was far from the promised land. Their heart was back in Egypt. Because somebody started to say, remember what we used to eat in Egypt. Remember how we didn't have to rely on God all the time. Somebody else fed us. Sure, they got beat and whipped and treated horribly. So much so that they cried out to God. But boy, was the meat good. The stew with the leeks and the onions and the garlic. Delicious. Like I said on Sunday, your memory cleans some things up. And sometimes you think back to things and you remember them differently than they were. <laughs> that wasn't that bad, was it? And it says this, verse 5, Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces in the presence of all the assembly of the congregation of the sons of Israel. Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, of those that spied out the land, tore their clothes, and they spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, saying, the land which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they will be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them. The Lord is with us. With us. Do not fear them. 
But all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Then the glory of the Lord appeared in the tent of meeting to all the sons of Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will this people spurn me? And how long will they not believe me? Despite all the signs which I have performed in their midst. How long, he says. How long? Here's the question. Because, like I said, Joshua and Caleb saw the same things as everybody else. They just didn't say the same things. Or the, what, they did address that there's giants. They did address that there's bad things. They addressed that there was fearful things in the land. But what they said about it was completely different. What Joshua and Caleb said was they learned to say what God said about the situation. If the Lord is pleased, he'll give it to us. They even bring up the issues. You see, this is why I don't think you need to avoid issues or pretend you have no issues in your life. You don't need to pretend you're not feeling well. You don't need to pretend. You know, faith is not pretending. It's not faking it. It's not lying. Faith is choosing to believe something bigger than what you just feel. Faith is choosing to believe what God says above what you feel, see, hear, or anything else. So no one here is telling you to fake it till you make it. I'm not telling you to pretend and put on a facade that people don't know what's going on in your life. I'm telling you there's a way to speak about it that's different than the world is. Let's look at it. Here's the problem. There's giants in the land, right? That's a problem. Big old giants, they got forts. That's a problem. That's not a good thing. Look at how they address it. The first group says, we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, so we were in theirs. They're going to eat us up. Joshua and Caleb addressed the same problem. Didn't avoid it, didn't go around it, didn't ignore it, did they? They didn't say, there's no giants. What giants? Come on, guys, we didn't see any giants. By faith, I say there's no giants in the land. No, they didn't do that. There's no giants, there's no giants, there's no giants, there's no giants. Some people have misrepresented what the Word of God says, and they think that's what faith is, just saying something that's not true. I'm telling you, they addressed the giants, but they said, don't fear them, their protection has been removed. They'll be our prey. You don't have to ignore the problem, but put it in the context of a great God. It's little compared to my God. I didn't say it wasn't there. I'm saying it's not going to be there because my God is bigger than that problem. Problem. A problem is a very bad problem. It's an extra syllable problem. And if you've never had a problem before, you just, well, good. <laughs> In first chapter of Deuteronomy, just look what, the, what they say. Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 26 says, You were not willing to go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God, and you what? You grumbled in your tents. And that's where most grumbling takes place, in your tents. Back in the bedroom, which is you and your spouse. I'm not going to get in trouble with this because this is just my spouse I'm talking to. It's okay. I didn't say this to the whole church. I'm not gossiping, but just between you and me. Here's what we're going to say. God's in the tents too. 
God can hear you there. But bigger than that, your heart can hear you there. See, this is not about how not to get in trouble with God. The reason God is, is resisting this attitude is not because he hates to hear those words. It's because those words are driving you down a bad path. Those words are cultivating fear in your life. They're cultivating discouragement. They're cultivating unbelief. God just doesn't, God's not just, it's not like his, his ego is fragile and he doesn't want to hear you talk bad about him. It's that he loves you enough to know that those words are tearing down what he's built. The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. We talked about a few months ago the fact that the word destroy, both in English and in Greek, means to take something that's built and tear it down till it's ruins. The word destroy, stroy is an old English word for structure. Right? So that's why destruct. If I were to instruct, I'm building something. If I were to make a structure, to destruct is to de-build something. And what God has been doing, the moment you said Jesus is Lord and you opened your Bible and you started to learn, is He's building something in your life. And He's creating something. He's building you up. He's edifying you. Other believers came along and encouraged you and built you up. And what the enemy would love to do is take brick by brick the things that God has built and destroy, destruct them, take them apart and make ruin of what God has built. So God had built this in them. God had built some wonderful things. God had built faith in them through the signs they saw, through the word they heard. And what, through those words they spoke to each other, what God had said was torn down. And all that was left was ruins. Their faith was in ruins because they had allowed it to be destroyed by their own words. And he says, you grumbled in your tents, grumbled in your tents, and said this, because the Lord hates us. Now, is that true? No. The worst thing you can do is to speak falsely about God, not because God's going to smite you with a lightning bolt, but because your, your view of God affects everything. And if you believe the Lord is good, it will affect everything. If you believe he hates you, it will affect everything. If you say he hates you, it's not that he's going to start hating you. But it's going to start to affect the way you think about him. And you're not going to run to him in the time of trouble. You're going to run away from him. Because the Lord hates us. He has brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the land hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go up? Our brethren have made our hearts melt saying so here's what we're talking about remember i said at the, at the opening of this your words affect your life and they affect other people's lives not only did those spies affect their own life but they affected everybody else they made other hearts melt by what they said so important to watch what you say guys and if you have a doubt if you have a fear go to the word of the lord i'm not saying I'm not saying put all your doubts aside let's live in fantasy land i'm saying address your doubts with the truth Address your doubts with the Word of God. God cares about you. He cares about your mind. He cares about your heart. And He's not just saying, well, just shut up and believe me. He's saying, all right, I've got answers for you if you'll listen. If you'll ask, if you'll call unto me, I will answer you. And I'll show you great and mighty things you don't know. Now, sometimes we do need to obey even before we fully get it. I think that's smart. I think the best thing you can do is say, I don't get everything that's going on, but I know the Lord is good. I know His mercy endures forever. I know His word is true. And uh, thank God, through time, you'll probably get it. But 
Here's what they said. They said, our brethren made our hearts melt, saying, the people are bigger and taller than we. The cities are large and fortified to heaven. And besides, we saw the sons of the Anakim there. Verse 29, then I said to you, do not be shocked nor fear them. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight on your behalf, just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes, and in the wilderness where you saw how the Lord your God carried you. Just as a man carries his son and all the way which you have walked until you came to this place. But for all this, you do not trust the Lord your God who goes before you on your way to seek out a place for you to encamp in fire by night and cloud by day to show you in the way in which you should go. Listen, then the Lord heard the sound of your words. He was angry and took an oath saying, not one of these men, this evil generation, shall see the good land which I swore to give your fathers, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, he shall see it. And to him and to his sons I will give the land in which you set foot, because he has followed the Lord fully. Then the Lord was angry with me also on your account, saying, Not even you shall enter. Joshua, the son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall enter there. Encourage him, for he will cause Israel to inherit it. Encourage him. How are you going to encourage Joshua? And open your mouth and speak of the goodness of God. God instructed Moses to recite to Joshua the battles and how God had, had won those battles for him. He said, tell Joshua. The literal Hebrew says, put it in his ear. How I beat the Amalekites. Recite this to Joshua. For in doing so, you will encourage him and he will cause the people to go into the land. So in the book of James, back to James 3, He says, the tongue is the rudder for the ship, and I believe your tongue is a rudder for your relationships. I believe the tongue is a rudder for the church. I believe that the tongue is a rudder for many different things. The Holy Spirit is the power, right? Right? The Holy Spirit is the power. The Holy Spirit is the anointing. You can't do anything without Him. I don't care. You can't just say, well, I'm going to say with my mouth that I own the Dallas Mavericks. I own the Dallas Mavericks. I own the Dallas Mavericks. That's not going to magically happen. Unless God told you, I am going to give you the Dallas Mavericks. You can't just confess it into being. Jesus didn't just go around saying what he wanted. He said what the Lord told him to say. Words carry power when you echo what God is saying. But they can turn your heart and they can turn you either against God or, or with them. And the Bible says in Proverbs that life and death is in the power of the tongue. In fact, I'm sorry, I switched it around. It says death and life is in the power of the tongue. And he that loves it, loves what? Loves, your li loves life, I suppose. He that loves it will eat the fruit of it, the fruit of your tongue. It says this in the rest of where we left off in James chapter 3. He says, just like the ship is steered by the rudder, so also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. The very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members so that which so as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. This sounds bad. But this is a tongue that hasn't yet been submitted to the Lord. This is by itself, on its own, the tongue is a fire a wildfire that you can't control. 
without Jesus in your life, you can't control your mouth. You can try. But you can't really control it. It says it sets all these things. And it says it sets things on fire, and it itself is set on fire by hell. This is the only time this word for hell is used outside of Jesus' own words. It says your tongue is set on fire by hell before you got born again. It's not an agent of good. But here's what happens. Listen, he says this. He says, for every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. We've gone into jungles and captured giant elephants and taught them how to do tricks at the circus. I'm not saying it's great, but it's been done. Think about that huge beast that's been tamed. They've tamed lions. They've tamed all these different creatures. It says, no man can tame the tongue. Verse 8 says, no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. Now, can I ask you a question? Even though no one can tame the tongue, can the tongue be tamed? Yes, it can. Absolutely. Because Jesus certainly had a tame tongue, didn't he? His tongue was under control. Why? Because he says, I don't say anything unless he says it. His tongue was not tamed by him. His tongue was tamed by the Father. Your tongue can be tamed. You just got to give control up. You just got to choose to say, I will say what God tells me to say. And he'll, he'll tame it. He'll control it. He'll do a great job. But you can't have it both ways. He says this, verse 9. Verse 9 says this. It says, with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men. Do you know when he talks about blessing and cursing, this is not just this modern blessing and cursing that we talk about. This is blessing with power and cursing with power. When Jesus blessed, people were blessed. When he cursed, things died. Right? He's not talking about just just nice words and bad words. We're talking about giving life to something or speaking death to something. It says, with it we bless our Father. With it we curse men. Now, I'm not telling you that you can go home and uh, say that this person is going to die a thousand times, and they will. But <laughs> I'm not telling you that. But he says these things should not be. He says we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives, or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh. What's he saying? Don't expect that you can play it both ways, play both sides of the field, and one day be blessing and one day be cursing. It doesn't work. It won't work. So if you're finding that, God, I pray, and there's just not, nothing to it, or I speak over people's lives, I, I mean, I, I'm saying the right things, but you're mixing it in with all this other stuff, it will have very little power in your life because your tongue was not meant to play both sides of the fields. Salt water and fresh water, it's not for that. You need to say it's all or nothing. I'm going to either let my tongue be controlled by God himself, speak what he speaks. I mean, this is, this is simple. I know it sounds complex, but it's very simple for every situation. There's a word from the Lord. For every situation, the Lord has the word to speak. You can look it up in here. There's plenty of things. You can find it and say, you know what? He spoke about this very issue right here. I'm going to say what he says. 
You're also led by the Spirit of God. You hear what He says, you say what He says. If He says yes, you say yes. You say no, you say no. It's probably a good idea. If, you, if you're just learning this, and we all kind of feel like we're just learning this, but if you say, well, I, I don't know, I'm not real good at hearing the voice of God, then my best advice to you is cut down your vocabulary for a while and just, if you're just like a child, relearning, he says yes, 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 no, no. And just don't talk as much for a while. Can I tell you that? I know that sounds weird, but, you know, I mean, if you're really, if you're really having a hard time controlling that tongue, well, then just don't talk for a while until you can get control. Man, we're not going to... You know, if you can't drive, I'm not going to tell you, go 100 miles per hour on the highway. Start slow. Start by a little bit, you know. And let God, I mean, this is, I know this is so weird because, I mean, this is nothing that the world talks about. But this is something believers have got to talk about. We've got to be real and say, the word tells us that life and death is in our tongue. No word that we ever just utter just goes nowhere. It always goes somewhere. It always does something. We are sowing into the ground. And what we sow is really important. So we can't just mix it. Mix gossip with love. You can't mix strife with unity. You can't mix hate. You can't mix fear with faith. You, these things don't mix. We've got to watch it. But let me tell you, just like I said, unity is not the absence of strife. So life in the tongue is not just the absence of death. Can I tell you, we've been talking a lot tonight about not using your tongue to destroy, but praise God, your tongue was created for a purpose. God gave you the power to speak, and he put power in that speech. Just like he said, let there be light, and there was light. He did not create us to just be idly yapping or barking for the rest of our life. He gave us power to speak. We're the only creature on the planet that speaks like God speaks. Isn't that amazing? Other creatures communicate through vocal sounds, but no other creature communicates like we communicate. Isn't this amazing? So don't just take this in a negative way of like, okay, I've got to wash my mouth. I gotta, you know. let's, let's take it in a positive. If I can use my mouth to tear down, I can use my mouth to build up. If I can use my mouth to produce death, I can use my mouth to produce life. He says here, if I can use it to bless and curse, I might as well bless. Because he says, can a fig tree produce olives or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fe- fresh. So your words are producing something. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil and how did jealousy and selfish ambition find their root and find their place in the body of Christ? You took it from a feeling to something you said. I said this a few weeks ago, but I want to reiterate it again. I have gotten to a place in life and ministry where I am done with the, don't tell anyone I told you this, but this, this. or I'm going to tell you something about somebody you can't tell anyone else. I got to the place where I believe what Jesus said. We've got an issue, go to that person. 
not an issue. Go to the person and don't say anything until you go to that person. Find out whether it's true or not. If they don't receive you, he says, bring witnesses. If you don't have witnesses, he says, I mean, he says, if they don't receive the witnesses, bring the elders. Bring it to the church. We've got to handle things like believers again. Guys, I mean all of us. Because I can tell you people and issues that have happened in church over the years I've been alive. And most of it happened because somebody thought somebody said something because they heard it three different ways and it came back to them that way like a game of telephone. It could have all been solved. I remember sitting in one meeting where two people had such different ideas about what the other person was saying because it all had been filtered through other people. And it all could have been fixed had they just talked to each other. It all could have been fixed. But by the time it got to that point, there was so much strife and bitterness that the relationship was damaged for, for I don't know, I'm not going to say for life, but it was damaged beyond easy repair because it wasn't addressed and it wasn't treated in love. It was just, they said you said this, they said you said this, and it just went on. I believe that our words have power. Power to build up, power to tear down, and we're going to build up with them. It says, where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable. Listen to this. Full of mercy and good fruits. Unwavering without hypocrisy, which means you're not saying one thing and doing another. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. We want righteous fruit in our lives. Sow in peace and be a peacemaker. So we've talked about two things tonight. The way your tongue can turn your ship and the way it can influence others. In this last bit, it went back to that influencing others. It kind of started with influencing others and ended with it. That was the uh, chocolate chocolate cookie between the the oreo you know that was kind of <laughs> you had the how it influences others and in between it says you know it's influencing your own life listen if you're having trouble with somebody you're having trouble in a relationship speak well of them don't lie but speak what god says do you know god says things about you that aren't yet really apparent he speaks things that are not as though they were when he speaks about you, he doesn't just speak what he sees, but what he knows. He doesn't just speak what, what is apparent, but he speaks what is unseen. Mom used to tell a story about a, a girl in her life back when she lived in Texas. I don't remember her name. She's probably for the best. And they did not get along. She put in her house, I love this person, right? All, she'd written all over. And you'd, you'd see it, and you'd read it, and you'd say it out loud. I love this person. I love this person. And miraculously, God healed that relationship. I'm sure she can tell you the story sometime if you ask her. That may sound like the hardest thing to say. The fact that it's hard to say is proof that you need to say it. Right? If you have a hard time saying I love somebody, you really need to work on that. That's a good reason to say you love them. Because that's an evidence of where your heart's at. And if you can't love with a pure heart, you can't pray for them properly. You can't uh, fully function. The Bible says that means there's a root of bitterness. That means there's unforgiveness. And if you can't forgive, you can't pray right. Praise God. We're created for good works. We're created to bless. And I really believe that we're going to come into an understanding 
not just at this church, but in the body of Christ at large. We're meant to come into an understanding of the power that God gave us just by opening our mouth, by agreeing with Him. Not coming up with our own stuff, but really saying what He says. Speaking the Word. If you've got nothing else to say, speak the Word only. And by disciplining our tongue, we can control our whole body. Listen, if you can't control your body, one of the greatest, if you're, if you're struggling with an addiction right now tonight, start with your mouth. Don't say it's your addiction. Don't say it's your problem. Begin to say what God says, whom the Son sets free, is free indeed. I'm slave to nothing, but I'm a slave to righteousness. I'm dead to sin and alive in Christ. You start speaking that way, and your tongue will start to turn your life. He says here, and he's specifically talking about your body, your tongue controls the whole body. He says if a man can control his tongue, he can control the whole body as well. That's amazing. That's for all of us. Praise God. What a wonderful gift we've been given. Uh, A tongue. I mean, if you ever want to see the journey of your mouth, go to the book of Romans, start in chapter 3, and it talks about all the things. It says your mouth is full of poison and wickedness and disgusting stuff. And then it says says that God shut up their mouths under the law. But then when they got born again, it says their mouths, with one voice, they lifted and praised to God. It's like the journey of a mouth. It was bad, bad. Then it got shut up. Then it got born again, and it began to speak praises and give glory to God. I mean, this is a different world. You're not the same person you used to be. You're born again. I'm here to give you hope. When James says all those deadly evil things about the tongue, that's changed for you because now you have a new master. You've been bought with a price. Your mouth was bought with the rest of you and you now can't control what you couldn't control before because you're letting him control it. Amen?